Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. And I know just where I stand Another serenader And another long-haired band Today I am your champion I may have won your hearts But I know the game you forget my name And I won't be here in another year If I don't stay on the charts Ooh. I am the entertainer And I've had to pay my Twice, ah, but still they come to haunt me. Still they want their say. So I've learned to dance with a hand in my pants, let them rub my neck, and I write them a check, and they go their merry way. Ooh. I am the entertainer, been all around the world. I played all kinds of palaces, and laid all kinds of girls. I can't remember faces. After a while and a thousand miles It all becomes the same Well, it looks like Billy Joel was wrong I'm saying it like Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny Elon Where the crowd goes hush When she mm. says, the defense is wrong What? I quote, but I know the game You'll forget my name and I won't be here in another year if I don't stay on the charts. Well, Billy Joel hasn't had a hit since Christmas Day, 1993. And not only haven't we forgotten his name, we praise it once a month, at least here in New York City, at the very least. But that's what he thought was going to happen when he wrote his best song off his sleepy third studio album, Street Life Serenade, in 1974, entitled The Entertainer. The entertainer i just call it entertainer you son of a bitch how dare you <laughs> get him <laughs> the entertainer again not to be confused with what has been discussed on this podcast multiple times and marvin hamblish's ripoff of scott joplin's song of the same name released the exact same year is the first song off as billy calls it the another side side of the album or you know side two which most of us call it the Entertainer was the only song released off this lackluster album and was released on November 30th, 1974, made it all the way to 34 on January 11, 1975. And get this, he couldn't beat out Elton John's version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds to get to number one. Oh, double heartbreak in that one. He might have been better off putting out his own version of A Day in the Life. 
his pal Elton John worked some magic. His biggest regret. Yep. The Entertainer appears on 12 Gardens Live and not on the original Greatest Hits Volume 1 on vinyl or cassette, which means Alan never heard this song in the car with his dad. Yeah, it was on Volume 2? No. Or on bonus, a, like a CD version only? I count Volume 1 and 2 as Volume 1 being whatever's on Volume 1 and Volume 2. We know what it is because it's all in chronological order. Yeah. Just by what, but right, it's only on the CD version and we know your dad only had cassettes. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know this song at that stage. Right. So it does, however, appear on the double CD that was offered later. Of course, this idiocy where half of the songs on the so-called greatest hits album never even made it to 34 is beginning to make the My Lives album look good. Oh, which, by the way, even though there's an album version and a single version of this song, it doesn't appear on the My Lives album. So that could suck a toe. <laughs> suck it. Which yeah, lead- could- Wait, did you say that could suck a toe? No, I said that could suck it too. So you're mishearing the lyrics again, like we always talk about all the time. Okay. Like, uh, what was the one that was from last week that I was doing? I don't remember. Uh, Billy, wasn't it Billy the Kid? What was? No, oh, Down Easter Alexa, where the kids need booze. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's easy to miss here. Well, this of course leads me to believe that Artie Rip had something to do with the greatest hits album, and Artie Rip Jr. clearly put together the My Lives album just to make Billy Joel look ridiculous. Now, that all being said, someone at Columbia Records was a genius, was paying attention. And when the 45 of the entertainer came out, that's how you released a single back then, the small 45. For those of you who don't know, they put the song length and we have photographic evidence. In fact, I might even have the 45 at my house, so my old house and my storage. They put the song length at three minutes and five seconds. But as a joke, right? Well, yes, yes, as a joke, but not as a joke. It really is on the label of the album 305. It's somebody who was paying attention to the lyrics. Yeah, no, I get that. But I thought the the 45 itself was cut to like 309 or something close to 305. The the 45 is three minutes and 21 seconds. Okay, so as but as a as a joke, as an homage to the song, they wrote 305. They wrote 305. And then in very tiny letters, it says intro 16 seconds. (laughs) okay (laughs) so somebody at columbia completely got billy joe which is probably why there's a turnstiles album because you know street life serenade didn't do very well the entertainer did pretty good but somebody at columbia understood the genius of billy joel and this song and put 305 on the 45 which is just right there in boldface letters and awesome yeah, that's good. And it kind of goes with, like like you said, how Billy calls the second side of this album another side. Like, he was sort of having fun with how he marketed this album. Right. He clearly did not care for the recording industry and told us as much in this song, which leads us to the rankings of this terrific song, really terrific, classic Billy Joel song. I mean, whether you like it or not, it's it's a classic. It's up there with all the biggies. So Christopher Bonanos and Glenn Gabo have it at the exact same number, just like we had uh, with one of the re- ones recently. This happens once in a while. Uh, what number is that, Elon? Okay, they both ranked the song 305. That's hilarious, uh, but no. <laughs> all right, so real guess is 19. Oh, no, it's way further down. 34. 
No, further down. 51? No, like 45. That seems a little too low for me. I, I agree 100%. The fans rank it at 33, which makes much more sense, and I would put it even higher. So Christopher Bernanos, and this is why we love him. This is why we love him. This is why he's a great guest and a great guy. The Piano Man finds success and hates his record company and writes about it. The synths sound terrible now, and the petulance is creeping in, which does him no favors. But got to have a hit, so they cut it down to 305. It's clever for sure. So the fact that he acknowledges our favorite part of the song makes him our boy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's a classic. That's like a, a quintessential Bananos comment right there. Yes, it is. And, it, and he's, so he's completely right about the synths. But that is why I love this song. You know, I love those synthesizers. I love the synths also. I think the synth is, I don't know what that tone is. Um, it's kind of carnival-like maybe. It's very artificial sounding as a synthesizer should sound. But it's what fun. It, it's a fun song, and it's a funny sounding synth. Yeah. What is it that? What is it that called the Moog? Is that what it is? Did you see that David Rosenthal is auctioning one off? Yeah, I think what we should do is ask all of our listeners to write our name in, so we win the Moog. Right. Well, I was thinking about going for the raffle. First of all, I found out you had to pay money for the raffle, so no fun. But then I was like, well, what am I going to do with the Moog? But is that the Moog? Is that the Moog? Is that the one? Is that what it is? The Moog synthesizer is that the keyboard in question i don't even know yeah i don't know let me see if uh well he played the moog on the album it doesn't say what he played on this song specifically ah, well let's assume it is and you know paul Lord yeah. can tell us on the album wrap-up but right now i love that moog synthesizer. let alone you must have seen that old gray whistle test video boy is that something else isn't that a wonderful rendition of this song watching him play the Moog while he's playing the piano. He truly is the man. He's got the one hand on the right side and the left hand in the piano. And it is exciting to watch, let alone. First of all, obviously, I know this song. You've heard this <laughs> song before. I have heard it, but I don't know. Maybe I misheard the album song. Maybe I've never heard the beginning. I, I never noticed a banjo in it. I just never noticed it until we were i was listening intently for other instruments because we were doing this show never noticed a banjo never noticed now thinking about the album now knowing more about street life serenade that it has a bit of a country feel to it a little western with the banjo and everything i never ever noticed that in this song i'm like here's a song about the record business probably doesn't fit on this album and yet there are pieces of instrumentation that make it fit on this album yeah, actually, one of the synthesizer solos, I'm not sure which one, but one of them sounds a lot like a bluegrass banjo picking kind of tune. It's like, that one. Yeah, that was that was surprising for me. I never thought of this song that way. But then when it, it does fit this album's theme in many ways, and uh, I always thought it didn't. I always thought it was more like a, a we didn't start the fire out of nowhere on a on a maritime album, you know, so. Yeah, it's like, uh, here's the single and here's the actual concept album that has nothing to do with the single. Right, exactly. But, you know, you got to have a single or you'll be in a can of beans. What is it? Anyway, the, the uh, old gray whistle test, you get a chance on YouTube. This is a fantastic. This should have been the official music video. It is so interesting. First of all, and maybe the whole song is like this, but you notice it more when watching it that the song's broken down. I think that's the way it works in the entire song. The guitar starts, and that goes for like a minute. Who's the guy playing the guitar? 
Russell Javers, who yeah. it's a great song to really like highlight his rhythm guitar work because he opens yeah. the song. He's really going at it. And he he's always, we never talk about him, but this guy always looks like he's 12 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. The looks most like baby you. faced guy in, in rock and roll. Russell Javers. Looks like Alan Altman playing the guitar. Yeah. I was going to call you baby face. <laughs> baby face Altman. <laughs> that was a gangster. That'd be my name. Yes, I know. My grandfather faced you in the forties. Babyface Altman. He was very worried. He was with <laughs> the FBI. What was your grandfather's name? Uh, Lulu Juskow. Oh yes, Lulu Juskow, the cross-dressing gangster. Hey, I'm not even kidding. His name, his actual name, is Lulu. They even put Leonard on his grave because they were like, nobody's going to believe his actual name was L U L U. They should have wrote Leonard and then parentheses Lulu. I don't think they did. I think they just went. To I like Leonard's. when they do that. Um, well, anyway, this thing is great because they have the break. There. So it starts off with this Russell Javers. And then, you, and then, you know, he's then he then he goes to the synth, which is great. And then he, then the bass comes in. Then the drum, you know, it's like it's really building. Although I do believe that the layering of the instruments like this, that it and it, it that it builds upon each verse and, and stanza you know like it's all that's the way it's supposed to go it's yeah. building the instrumentation it's building the, the the verse and the lyrics it really works well together yeah because it's kind of like in the beginning of the song he's just like i'm the entertainer he's just some guy on the street singing a song and then kind of builds and he's kind of like got a bigger career it sort of goes like that like now he's got a band and i feel like there's, yeah, there's a reason for yeah that. i never even thought about that it's so cool you know he does say He'll he'll always say that this song isn't about him, which we've seen before. And you're like, shut up, like James. No, it's not yeah. about you. Yeah, you just your friend went to medical school and you just became uh, just a huge guy. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. So there are lots of stories like that that you know, plenty of guys like that. But yeah, there's the, like, but but this time he says it's not particularly about me. I jump in and out of the verses of this song. That makes sense, right? Uh, you could see which ones sort of fit well with him and which ones don't. He probably would say he's not the one who's laid all kinds of girls because he was in a committed relationship with Elizabeth and right, she's the jealous I, type. That's true. You're absolutely right. But you have to put that line in. It works. Let's look at these lyrics, these unbelievable lyrics. They're some of Billy Joe's best lyrics, I think. And it's it's very much like a rap song. You know, there's so much dialogue in there that comes at this little you know, it's just so much rhyming and versing. It's very ahead of its time in many ways. Yeah, right. A lot of verses and a lot of it's like a very catchy rhyme scheme. I like it. It's very simple. So that makes it kind of fun to hear. Like, you know, but I know the game. You'll forget my name. You're right. It's like kind of rap like. Yeah. And like the first verse is the chorus, which is weird. You know, I am the entertainer. I know just where I stand. Another serenader and another long haired band. Today, I am your champion. I may have won your hearts, but I know the game. You'll forget my name. I won't be here in another year. If I don't stay on the charts, that comes up again later. That's actually the chorus and the first verse. I've never seen a song like this before. <laughs> I am the entertainer, and I've had to pay my price. The things I did not know at first, I learned by doing twice. Ah, but still they come to haunt me. Still they want their say. So I've learned to dance with a hand in my pants. I let them rub my neck, and I write them a check, and they go their merry way. It's fantastic. I always used to hear this, the idea of like, I learned to dance with a hand in my pants. I was picturing him as like a Jim Morrison type, some kind of rock star who sticks his hand in his pants as sort of like, you know, whatever, some sexually suggestive thing. Now I realize he's talking about these skeevy managers or other music industry people who would be 
you know, inappropriate with the artists and the, the artist has to be like, oh, yeah, it's OK. Yes. Back my ass. Sure. You're right. I didn't even notice that. I didn't notice that when it, I didn't notice until I saw the lyrics. I let him rub my neck. I didn't know. So that that works with the hand in my pants, which I guess he's talking about his pocket and writing him a check. It could you know, be in the pocket or it could be, a, you know, these guys like think of a Harvey Weinstein kind of character. Right, right. Well, I was thinking maybe that it's I've learned it with a hand in my pants, which me I let's just say I think that means they want the money out of his pocket. The rub my neck is the Harvey Weinstein. And then he's like, I'll write a check and just uh, yeah. go their merry way. So that I don't know. I guess I don't want to think about it the other way. <laughs> right. And then there's your part. I am the entertainer, been all around the world. I played all kinds of palaces and laid all kinds of girls. You're absolutely right. Uh, he probably felt awkward about writing it, but you have to. It it works for the song if you're talking about just like you said, he's this isn't him. Some parts are the other. The earlier part was this part's just being a rock star. You got to tell the story of what we expect. I can't remember faces. I don't remember names. Ah, but what the hell? You know, it's just as well, because after a while, on a thousand miles, it all becomes the same. There's not one rock star on the planet that doesn't write a road song about that exact same thing. I'm talking about Journey, talking about Barry Manilow. They all talk about that. All the places and the names become the same. Bob Seger. Yeah. Everybody writes these exact same lines. I can't remember faces. I don't remember names. After a while, a thousand miles, it all becomes the same. Every singer writes that song eventually. I am the entertainer. I bring to you my songs. (laughs) I love that. Here are my songs. (laughs) It sounds very minstrel-esque. That's why yeah. I like it. Would you like some songs? <laughs> Do you like a pasta? I'd like to spend a day or two. I can't stay that long. No, I've got to meet expenses. I got to stay in line. Got to get those fees to the agencies. I'd love to stay, but there's bills to pay, so I just don't have the time. Oh, it's so good. It's such a real story and put in such a poetic, fun, really rap way. Yeah, and rappers do this also. They complain about the industry taking their cut out of their yeah. pay, getting those fees to the agencies. And then, of course, our favorite of all time. I am the, and I love that it always starts. I am the entertainer. I love that it starts that way. Yeah, and it always time. feels the way he sings it, like we're getting to a crescendo. Yeah, right. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. Just like you said, the instruments are getting bigger. They're adding more instruments. He's getting more famous. I never even thought about it that way before, but it really is like a poem. If you read it without knowing the, and it's hard to do, as you know, every time I read the lyrics, I can't help but to sing the songs. I've been like this in sixth grade when we were doing something about the Erie Canal and I was singing the song and my teacher got angry because I knew how the song went and the whole class applauded, but she put me in her, <laughs> like in a timeout. It was like awful. So it's hard to do when you know the words, but if you didn't, you would read them like, like you'd read like, I am the entertainer. This is the verse we did before. I bring to you my songs. I'd like to spend a day or two. I can't say that long. And then you would say, I am the entertainer. I come to do my show. You've heard my latest record. It's been on the radio. It sounds like you could say this at a poetry slam. (laughs) You know, like it just really sounds like that. Uh, This is the best line in the whole, whole song. You've heard my latest record. It's been on the radio. It took me years to write it. They were the best years of my life. That's great, right? Because everybody knows their first song, you have your whole lifetime to do before the record companies come in. Mm-hmm. So it took me years to write it. They were the best years of my life. It was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. 
you're going to have a hit, you got to make a fit. So they cut it down to 305, our favorite. I think when he says they were the best years of my life, I don't even think he's saying that like it was so much fun writing that song. I think he just means he wasted the best years of his life working so hard. Like oh, in I, his prime, see. he worked on this one stupid song and had this masterpiece. And then the label said, yeah, we got to make that shorter. That's so funny. I looked at it the exact opposite way where I was thinking he really enjoyed these writings before he was under pressure to make another hit. I saw it a different way, but the way you're saying it makes, I guess makes a little bit, I don't know when he was singing it and the way he was, because if you watch that old gray whistle test, you know, he's doing our favorite thing with the, the most, he's really selling the song. You know, when he says uh, he has got to pay those fees, he does the uh, thing with the money, you know, like the fingers. Yeah, yeah. He loves to do all the hand motions. One thing I'll say as an aside in that old gray whistle test in the beginning, he keeps motioning to his ear because I think his earpiece isn't working and he can't actually hear the band. So for a while, his motions are just him being like, you know, (laughs) I hear nothing. I was like, wow, I love what he's doing. He's like, look, I am the entertainer. I (laughs) am. (laughs) I am the entertainer. (laughs) But it turns out it was a mishap in the the audio. (laughs) That's hilarious. But yeah, so when he when I watch him say they were the best years of my life, he's always smiling. So I guess that threw me off. And if I listened to the song without watching him, I might have thought maybe the more way you thought of it. It's like a disgruntled wife who's like, I gave you my best years. Oh, that's so interesting. That's great. I am the entertainer, the idol of my age. Just like you say, it's getting now. He's that at this point. I never even thought about the song like this before. I make all kinds of money when I go on the stage. I you've seen. I love what he goes. It always goes. Ah. You see me in the papers. I've been in the magazines, but if I go cold, I won't get sold. I'll get put in the back in the discount rack like another can of beans. That doesn't it doesn't rhyme or do anything, but we can't get enough of that. It rhymes with magazines. Yeah, I know. But it just to me, it lays there like a locks. But I love every minute of it. Like Right. Because like what store has discount beans? (laughs) Beans are already like this is 1974 when he wrote this. Right. And like what did a can of beans cost? Like 25 cents. I think less. Okay, so 15 cent beans, and then you go to the discount rack to get the 10 cent beans? Well, you know, uh, pretty much I get the generic wax beans, and if you take off the label, you don't even know the difference. <laughs> What's that from? It's from Seinfeld. Newman says that on the Merv Griffin show. Oh, He's yeah. Like, well, I think we bottomed out. <laughs> we need to retool. <laughs> we need to retool. That's that's the line. He's talking yeah. about wax beans. That's when I always realize on my podcast, well, boy, I have bottomed out. How many times can I talk about, you know, a waitress at one incident of a restaurant with Alan and his wife that I'm still angry at? <laughs> well, I already blocked that in my memory, but you probably could do another four hours about it. Oh, four hours. That's like a year of podcasting for me. This is gold. I am. And, and then it just then it's the opening, the opening verse again. Right. Same thing. I am the entertainer and I know just where I stand. Another serenader. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, same thing. In same thing, but he sings it this time with like so much more emotion than in the first time. Yeah, and it's great because it comes back, and it, and so it should. Yeah. And when he says another long hair band, he could even be talking about himself and Attila. Yeah, right, because he, he went through that phase. He was just another long-haired band from Long Island. Yeah. And they said, we already have Blue Oyster Cult. Get the hell out of here. So I know you also know about the Lost Verse which apparently he does put into live performances sometimes. I think only back in the 70s. I don't think he would do this. I was going to say, I don't remember hearing this verse when we saw him do this live because it's it's not a good verse. And no. again, what, what was the song we said? We we're glad he took it out. Tell her about it. That's what it was. Yeah, right. Another one that it was a good decision because this one too, the rhyme doesn't work so well and it's 
the tone of it is off. Yeah, I am the entertainer. I'm dressed in the style. I wear all kinds of sparkles. I flash the crowd my spy, my smile. But when the night is over and I stand without my clothes, perspiration stains and varicose veins, my eyes look shot, my belly's got a pot, and there's a pimple on my nose. And there's a pimple on my nose. (laughs) Well, I guess that was like, that would have gone after the last verse, being now I'm old and fat. Well, (laughs) it's kind of funny because he is. (laughs) But No, no, no. This was the second verse. When he did it, this would be the second verse of the song. Why would this be the second verse? Wouldn't this be what he's planning on having happened to him after he is the entertainer? Why would no, it be he's saying even verse? as the unsuccessful entertainer in the beginning of the song, it's like, you know, he has to dress up in these stupid sparkly outfits. And then when he's done, he's just some loser. Well, see, again, I, I thought it, that he was talking about, you know, somebody like like foreigner now that comes out on stage. I'm, I'm, I'm really just off the top of my head. I was just because I just heard on the radio foreigners coming out with a new album and they're touring again. I was like talking about these older guys that are fatter and they are perspiring, but they're still in those clothes because they still want to be remain re- whatever relevant is. That's what I thought he was talking about. But now, I well, maybe this one isn't really a him verse. Maybe this is one of those verses just about those mid 70s kind of guys who'd wear big, glittery, sparkly outfits. And yeah, maybe they were older and washed up. So he says that he wrote this song uh, based on our favorite thing, watching Don Kirshner's rock concert. We've talked about multiple times here watching that and the Wolfman Jack midnight special, which I've spoken about that. You know, that was the only way you could see a musician back in the days uh, do one of their songs. And he apparently hated those shows for just the fact that they were just like put on. They made they told you what to wear. They told you what to do. They put you on the set that you didn't want to be on. And they told and he just made him so angry. That's how he developed this song. Meanwhile, he also knew that because he did it himself, you had to go on those shows because that was the only way to get your music out before MTV. Yeah, a necessary evil, but he hated the fact that it was so commercialized. It's probably kind of like with uh, with comedy, like where you want to do a late night set on the Tonight Show or whatever, but you know that they're going to have to take your your great material and make it into this clean and condensed oh, It's not version. just that, Alon. When you do the Tonight Show and you will, they request, and I don't know how it is today, but they tell you to, they'll have a guy call you and he goes through your entire set with you. Uh, so sometimes they bring a guy with you for like a week to see you perform it. So he, and he'll tell you what to do. He'll travel around with you. Other times I've had where they just get on the phone with you. They ask you your material and they're like, don't do that do that i mean you you got to go over it with a fine-tooth comb it's exactly what you're talking about it's really not cool but... yeah they want you to hand write like literally write out not hand write but write out every single word that you're gonna say yeah one time i was on this show and this guy got on the phone and he was so angry that he was in it because i remember him as a comic and he was such he was so mean to me because he didn't want to be the guy who was deciphering through other people's comedy mm-hmm. and, and he was just such a dick about it because you know that's so that's the worst you get somebody who doesn't like you in that spot, they're going to make you look like a dick. Um, but getting back to the Don Kirshner Midnight Special stuff, the best example of Billy Joel talking about this is that Capitol Theater 1976 show. Oh where my God, he goes out for 20 minutes talking it's a, about it's this. It's an eight-minute-long monologue before he plays the entertainer. And it's basically, we've talked about this before on this show. It's like a stand-up set. It's, it's really, really funny. stand-up set, yeah. He's doing bits that people still do today. 
Like there's one part where he says, he's talking about, uh, he's like, you know, those English bands. And he's like, don't worry. Some of my best friends are English bands, which is like the, some of my best friends are, is like a classic joke structure that everyone does that you wouldn't think existed back in 1975. Yeah. But he was doing it. Yeah. It was amazing. He was doing a lot of material, which was great. And the people like at first they didn't like it. People were just yelling out December song. So he's like, I'll get to <laughs> yeah. that. I'll get to that. It was a really big song back then. You guys probably hadn't heard of it. But, <laughs> but you heard people People were yelling. I didn't hear what song they were yelling out, but they were yelling out. He's like, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. So it seemed like people just wanted him to play and they weren't into it. But he won that crowd over with his comedy, yeah. <laughs> which is not fair to any of us. <laughs> yeah, not because normally he win it over in the comedy, but then he's going to play this awesome song. It's a completely like you only have your comedy and then you, that's it. That's it. You know, but he's like relying on like, well, if this works and the song works, I am the entertainer. The idol of my age. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a true entertainer. He is entertaining that crowd with his comedy. And then he hits them with his music prowess. It's a, it's really a, unbelievable when you're thinking of that's the song he's talking about. I am the entertainer. I'm going to make you laugh. And now I'm going to make you sing and clap your hands. I remember he was talking about that, too, that he hates those bands. Like, come on, come on, put your hands together, put your hands together. Come on. And then they yeah. and then they give you it's like the, it's like a comedy where he's talking about people get brought on stage to loud music, loud music. And then there's like a Todd Barry who, you know, comes out bah, 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 bah. and then he, and then the music goes off and he goes, hey, how you guys doing? you know and and there's a letdown you know so but but he's saying hey don't ask the audience to clap and go for it when they don't know the song yet let's let me make them clap because they are so into this music and i love that that he threw other band people into the he just threw them under the bus yeah awesome and i like one of the funny lines he had there was he was like uh, the audience member just goes like yeah i'll clap just stop looking at me Right, like right, right. That pressure of like the person like being like, hey, man, do something. And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So it's funny. So he says, and it's because it totally buys into what we're saying that, you know, he had the so he's talking about, I mean, he he totally gets it. He understood what this was all about, that in Piano Man, he's pissed off that nobody notices him. And then an album later, he's as he says, fetching, <laughs> um, which is our p- people's word about getting the attention. So, you know, he he knows it and he knows that he's being contradictive to himself. But that's he says, I would shoot myself in the foot a lot, but I was a young smart ass. And that pretty much wraps up this song and what he was starting at that 1975 Capitol Theater thing or 74, Uh, 76, 76. And, you know, a funny thing, just like something I never really think about. But like until The Stranger came out, this was his second biggest hit. That's a long time where it was Piano Man. And the entertainer. So when you're doing a show like Capitol Theater 76, like you can do a long eight minute thing because, you know, the crowd's waiting for the entertainer because it's the only song they know besides Piano Man. Right. But but the only song they know from the past, like two years since you've put something else out, because this could have been before. Maybe maybe it was a Turnstiles tour, but who knows? Yeah, this might have been like before Turnstiles. I'm not sure the exact date in the year. I feel like it was before Turnstiles came out. Right. So if that's the case, then, yeah, this guy hasn't released anything in in years. And somehow he has the, you know, I don't know, the balls to do this really long in between banter with the crowd for so long. Um, And it works because he's that funny. Yeah, he was that funny and he is that funny. And, yeah, he's he's good at talking and he's good at 
singing, uh, but he's not so good at dancing. And we'll get to that in Uptown Girl. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> a couple more things before we move on. And those couple things are the cover versions of this song. Now, I don't know whether you took a look at any of this stuff, but no, hold no. on. First of all, you've got to have balls to cover this song because you're out there saying, if you're saying you're the entertainer, nobody's thinking it's about somebody else. When you first hear it, and these covers were done, you know, in the very early 80s or late 70s, you know, when the song was rather fresh, yeah. you're like saying to people, I am the entertainer. So the first one is Sheena Easton. And I don't know if you know this complete idiot who I've always thought, I mean, her songs are okay, but she sucks also. And I don't think she writes any of her own songs, and she definitely thought she was bigger than she was. And if you ever see Bob Costas interview her in his wonderful show where he could make anybody interesting, this is the one girl he could not make interesting. I've never seen him suffer like he did for a 20-minute interview uh -huh. with Sheena Easton. But guys, girls, whoever's listening at the sound of my voice, I need you to see Sheena Easton's version of The Entertainer on YouTube. There's only like 36 views. She thinks she is great, and it is epic. I mean, there's something about it that is so mesmerizing. You won't believe the outfit. You won't believe the moves. And she looks nothing like an entertainer. She's sitting there saying, I am the entertainer, but you're feeling none of it. But it's got this 80s, instead of that, it gets like more of a more of an 80s thing to it. So the music isn't bad. It's her performance that is so stupid and awful. I can't wait for you to see it. Side. On the flip side of that, two other examples. Waylon Jennings does a version of it. Now, Waylon Jennings, I don't, everybody knows I don't like country music, but I love Waylon Jennings. Do you know why? No, why? Because he does the theme to the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> and he used to do the narrating. Now, those Duke boys are in a lot of trouble. When we get back, we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, I love Waylon Jennings because they call him, he was the balladeer. On the Dukes of Hazard TV show, let alone that song is awesome. Just the good old boys, never meaning no harm. It's awesome. Anyway, he does a version of the Entertainer, but it completely works in a country song. This is me, Dave Juskow, saying I love Waylon Jennings' version of the Entertainer. I can't what? believe you admit to liking a country song. My age, I make all kinds of funny boys when I go on the stage. 
some reason this guy's cool and when you sing it in the country you know country songs they're all really full of themselves that's what i notice in a lot of country songs so it kind of works that he's saying he is the entertainer there's some and when he says he laid all kind of girls i believe him this works in that sense then there's a third version by helen reddy now, I never liked Helen Reddy, but I have people have told me recently she was the shit in the 70s. I know that, but she had songs. I am woman. Hear me now. You know, yeah. weird songs that weren't made for men, <laughs> really. But she had a belting voice. And she does a version that is so different and so interesting. It's not horrible. It's just, unfortunately, when you see it and her do it, it's bad because her smiling and the way she's doing it doesn't add up. But it's, well, it's 10 times better than the Sheena Easton version. But these are all three really interesting. Meanwhile, the Helen Reddy version, they have it at 2.05. <laughs> they cut out a full minute, but it falls directly at 2.05. 2.05. I mean, what can you, okay, so she does like, she does like four verses or something. And I, yeah, they cut out a verse, but. You got to see her dancing around like she's doing like I'm, I'm I'm showing you the moves now on Zoom. She's, you know, like, yeah, this, like the, for those of you who can't see uh, Dave just took his top off and he's shaking. His... <laughs> no, she that's the last person you want to see with her top off. Ironically, you want to see Sheena Easton with. But uh, yeah, it's like a like a shimmy uh-huh. that she's doing like 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 Sally. Uh, uh, what, what was that? Well, from, from back to back to school, uh, Sally Kellerman does when she is pretending to dance when they're at the big frat party and it's it's awful dancing. Uh-huh. Not like Elaine, but just like it's just bad. So I highly recommend, folks, I need you to see all three. Well, you need to see the Sheena Easter one more than anything in the whole world and report back to us on Instagram if you are in awe of, quite frankly, the greatness that these exist in general. The Waylon Jennings was a good one, so you don't need to see that. You can listen to I'll play a little bit of it here, of course, but... The other ones are fascinating. The Sheena Easton one is not to be believed. So could the Sheena Easton one be worse than Mr. Belding singing? No, because Sheena Easton still had a voice. It's worse in a different way that, again, the video is not to be believed. Remember how um, Ronnie Spector was doing Say Goodbye to Hollywood? Yeah. And she looks so and she's all by herself in this television set. And she, and it didn't matter because she looks so cute, right? And it worked somehow. This one, she's all by herself in this television set, but it does not work. It's sad. And that's why she was never heard from again, besides maybe one other song a year later, and that's it. The entertainer ruined her career. It actually became true, right? She, uh, <laughs> she, it she wasn't ended sold. Up... She was on a discount rack. <laughs> As a can of beans. <laughs> Just imagine like some wizard turns her to actually a can of beans. <laughs> and then you hear her voice from inside the can like, no, oh, 
happy. Well, apparently it couldn't happen to a nicer person. <laughs> so, Alon, just one question before we leave. My guess is he played this a lot in the 70s like we were talking. And then my guess is there was a break. And now I feel like it's on his everyday list. Yeah, that's good intuition you have there. Okay, so this is the 19th most played song. He's played 389 times. And he played it a lot in the 70s. But after 1978, he played it twice in 79, twice in 80, once in 82, once in 87, once in 96, and then never until 2006. Wow. So for about 28 years, he pretty much never played it. And then from 2006 on, it's been a staple of the shows. You know, I'll tell this one thing, and I know we're kind of running out of time, but I just have to say that in my life and my Billy Joel, and I do like to talk about that here and how it was influenced. This is another one of those songs that I heard later, you know, in college, you know, just like on the radio, uh, driving around, never heard. And I was like, you know, again, what is this? You know, he already had Glass House and the Nylon Curtain out. I'm just discovering. And I was like, wait, what is this song? Where did it come from? What album is this? I don't remember him making a song like this. I remember being so like, oh, my God, this song is amazing. And those synths are amazing. And just hearing it for the first time and just not knowing anything about it, where it came from, why he wrote it, how he wrote it, and being so fascinated by this song. And then now to find out that it was just on this lone album, it was the only hit, and it doesn't really fit on the album. And yet now I found out that it kind of does. It's rather fascinating to, I can picture myself listening to it for the first time, like in the radio in the car. And being like, wait, what? Wait, this is Billy Joe. What is this? Why is he singing about himself? It's a unique song. The first time you hear it, it always sticks in your mind because you're like, what is this? It sounds first different you're than like, anything look, else. Look, look at this guy. He's the entertainer. What an asshole. But then, you know, when you hear it more, you're just like, you know, I'm okay with his assholeness because this is just working. You know what? He is the entertainer. He has now sold me on him selling himself that he's the entertainer. That's how good this song is. In fact, if he had a nickname named after a song, it should be Billy the Entertainer Joel. They shouldn't call him the Piano Man anymore. They should call him the Entertainer, like the chairman of yes. the board and the boss. He should be the Entertainer. Fuck the Piano Man shit. Right. We got the start Entertainer's that. here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they might have given that to Marvin Hamlish. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Hamlish! <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you did a con Hamlish, and I did a Newman Hamlish. Oh, you did? <laughs> I said Hamlish. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? I got one. It should be very easy, but it'll be a fun one. By 1983, Sheena Easton's pop career was almost already over, and the audacity of calling herself the entertainer will never leave my brain. Unfortunately... She'll always be cool because she did a classic Bond theme. And in October of 1996, one of her hits, a bonafide hit, will always be now and remembered for one of our favorite shows we talk about on Billy Joel A to Z all the time. It was used again on that same show in September of 1997. So what is that show? And if possible, can you name the song? The problem is I know no Sheena Easton song, so I can say the, the show is probably Seinfeld. The show is Seinfeld. I can't think of what songs even get used in Seinfeld. They used it twice. 
I mean, in what episode? What was. what was the context of the episode? The first episode was uh, the uh, who's Superman's uh, villain that says everything up. The Bizarro uh, one, and okay. Kramer gets a job, and uh, oh, okay, um, he's doing what is he doing? TCB. <laughs> what do you do down there? <laughs> TCB. It's Take that song. It's not working nine to five, but it's a song about working. No, you got it. It is nine to five. That's actually the name of the song. They changed it to morning train because of yeah. Dolly Parton's nine to five. So you got it. You got oh, the okay. correct By accident, I got it. Yeah, right. The actual My song baby in... takes the morning train. That's right. Et cetera. He gets and go to work again. Right. So they use that when Kramer gets on the subway, gets pushed back by all those people. Right. So we know it really well from Seinfeld, but it was a number one hit or somewhere up there uh, for her back in what 81 or something like that. But it was called nine to five in London. They changed it here because of Dolly Dolly Parton's awesome nine to five song, which I can't believe they didn't use that instead. In fact, I feel like there's a uh, I think they tried to get it and there was a problem with Dolly Parton's people. I think Seinfeld tried to get that. That's the one they obviously would have wanted. Not Sheena Easton's nine to five song, Morning Train. I think they probably wouldn't have well, even put that subway along. I think Sheena Easton's is more about like the commute, which fits with the Seinfeld, like New York kind of theme. You, you picture Kramer like having to get on the train and all that, not just the work. Maybe, but let's face it, nine to five is just awesome. Dolly Parton song is awesome. But you did good. You got him. You got it right. Good. So uh, what do you do down there all day? TCB. No, taking care of business. Do you have a trivia question for me? I have a trivia question for you, and I put in a lot of research on this one. All so right. I hope you like it. The Beatles, Billy Joel's heroes, the Beatles, released 186 songs. Their average length was two minutes, 44 seconds. 133 of those songs were under three minutes in length, if you can believe that. Only one Beatles song was exactly 305. It wasn't a single. But it's a very well-known song. It actually has a distinction of being the most streamed Beatles song on Spotify. It was written by George Harrison. It's on the Abbey Road album. What is this song? Here Comes the Sun? That is correct. Wow. <laughs> 305. Here Comes the Sun. So, you know, I was going through my mind, going through my mind. And then you said George Harrison. So that narrows it down to four songs. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And then, uh, and then I was just thinking. Pretty sure here comes the sun's pretty short. Or or maybe it's actually longer. <laughs> For actually, a Beatles song, than, pretty long. Yeah. But uh yeah, because yeah. I think the I don't think there's any other lyrics be besides here comes the sun. So that's why I guess I'm thinking about it. I don't know. No, there's other lyrics. Feels Little like darling, not. it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Yeah. Little no, darling, etc. <laughs> um, interesting fact John Lennon is not on the recording of Here Comes the Sun. Really? Why not? He's probably in bed with Yoko Ono. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> God, you're disgusting. Why would you bring that up? Well, Alon, we've already talked about that the verses for this song are poetic and rapper-like. I got a good feeling about today's Weird Alon parody. What do you have for us? Okay, so my parody is called My Name is A.C. Slater. When I wake up in the morning and the lawn gets out of water, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. Well, 
I like it a lot, and if it's got a Saved by the Bell reference, then uh, I'm all in. All right. <laughs> I knew it right away, so I'm good. That's pretty funny. But then I was thinking as I was saying it, I'm like, I wonder if we'll make it the Terminator. That could have worked, too. That Yeah, oh, I should. I couldn't think. I was like, what? I was actually, my first thought was the menstruator, and I Ew. thought, that, that's too graphic. Yeah, we don't no, want to do that. Terminator would have been good. I think maybe yeah. for a wrap-up, I'll redo it as the Terminator. I just thought about it while you were saying, I was like, what's he going to come up with? What's he going to come up with? It went through yeah. my head. But now I, I got to write uh, that one, too. I got to write the Terminator. So I'm good with uh, my name is A.C. Slater, since we talked about Mario Lopez and the Teller About It video anyway, so let's do it. And I mentioned Mr. Belding earlier in this episode. Exactly. So we're all about Saved by the Bell here at Billy Joel A to Z. Belly Joel A to Z. <laughs> My name is A.C. Slater, and I go to Bayside High. If you like stupid athletes, then I might be your guy. I dated Jesse Spano. She thinks that I'm a pig. And at the football game, Kelly cheers my name while Screech and Zach sit way in the back with Mr. Belding. Hey, now. That's all. That's it? Yeah. That was brilliant. That was great. (laughs) That was really good. I I thought for this one, you'd have multiple verses. That's why I I was like, I don't know. That felt like enough. Oh, I like that one. I could listen to that one again. That might be one of your best ones. (laughs) Short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, you don't need another well, you, COVID testing line situation. You cut it down to 35. <laughs> I, sure, I certainly <laughs> did. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Well, folks, that was The Entertainers. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you think the synthesizers sound dated? Tell us what you think of the Sheena Easton cover. Do you question Dave's musical taste after hearing that he liked the Helen Reddy cover? Well, how? Everybody's going to like that cover. <laughs> I have right. doubts. Got me there. Should we have cut this podcast down to 305? Clearly. And do you want me to do a second weird alarm called The Terminator? Yes. Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. We'll be back. Today I am your champion. I may have won your-